on this episode of AV Week, fighting more counterfeit AV products, taking a look at whether or not Zoom still has a place in AV as a service in the era of Peloton. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 547, recorded Friday, February 11th, 2022. I believe. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Crestron. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. Um, as, as, uh, as, as Magic Mitchell just uh, mentioned to the guest here, it technically is my day off, but I like this job too much. Uh, it's one of those things that I do that I'll still do for free. So uh, with us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week, uh, let's start with ladies first. Uh, closest to me is the fantastic Erica Williams, who's over in Kansas City. Welcome, ma'am. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Um, I'm very sorry that I'm not, I won't be rooting for Erica's team, uh, come this Sunday. Well, by the time you listen to this, it'll be gone and over and the Rams will have lost a humiliating defeat to the Bengals, uh, cause I cannot root for the Los Angeles Rams. Rachel Harris is also with us. She is from New York. Welcome ma'am. Or lives in New York now. Welcome ma'am. Well, thank you very much for having me. And if I might add that all of the views expressed are my own. Are indeed. They are indeed. Uh, same goes for Erica uh, as well. Uh, Rachel uh, works for, well, they both work for, for pretty good sized companies. So uh, we'll just leave with that. And last but not least, a gentleman who was tired of working with me uh, in our day job at CTI. Uh, his name is Toby Tungle, and he has a brand spanking new business card that says Epifan Video. Welcome, sir. Uh, nice to see you again, Tim. I'm not going far. I may not get to work with you every day, but I'm still a phone call away That's if you true. ever need to chat. See, he's just like that. And he's not leaving Grand Rapids, so there's that, too. True. True. Uh, but no, Toby is now in charge of all of North America for Epifan. Congratulations, seriously. There's a lot of people moving around uh, here in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, thanks. There, There is a lot of people moving around, a lot of people that are changing different career tactics. You know, like myself, I went from the integration world to manufacturing, and people are going from manufacturing integrators and it's really interesting to see how people are becoming more innovative in their career paths and not just assuming that, you know, that where their current path is is where they need to go and, and being unique and creative and getting outside of their comfort zone, which is the most important thing, as anybody knows that follow me on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Don't, don't follow me or Toby no, on Twitter absolutely if you not. don't want to be encouraged, especially if your name is Matt Scott. All right. Uh, first story comes to us. The weird inside joke, kids. Uh, comes to us actually from the Wall Street Journal. The Peloton CEO, John Foley, is stepping down, and the firm is cutting 2,800 jobs. What on earth does this have to do with AV? I can make a couple different uh, arguments here. First of all, if you've ever seen a Peloton bike, it's half uh, AV, uh, to be frank about it. It's a, it's an, a network device, uh, network-connected uh, bicycle with a ginormous screen on it. So there's the AV part. Here's the other part, though. This is where this gets me. Uh, it is the, the as-a-service model. And this is where it got Peloton a little bit sideways as well. Um, Erica, we're going to start with you. You and Rachel both work for, for customers, clients of integrators, right? Toby's the manufacturer now. But, but you guys are both, you know, you, you live and breathe and, and have talked with folks about the as-a-service model here. 
This is something that I don't know if it was the CEO, right, who just didn't get that model, understood that model. Yes, Peloton made hardware, right? And and, and the bicycles are, are not inexpensive. But really where they were making their, their their revenue from was was this as a service and this monthly subscription type. So when you look at either the failure here, at least a temporary failure, obviously we don't, Peloton hasn't filed for bankruptcy yet, so we can't say complete failure here. But a little hiccup in their business plan, does it give you pause when it comes to hardware or, or AV as a service? Does it make you more you know, excited about it? Where does this kind of put, you know, compare and contrast the Peloton model of as a service with what some integrators and quite frankly, what some manufacturers are, 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 are positing as AV as a service? A couple things come to mind, um, just initially to start out with the IT background that I have, uh, just thinking about uh, equipment life cycles to begin with, you know, you think that the as a service offering is, it's kind of awesome if you think about it, you know, every so many years, you know, you have this subscription, they'll take care of you, you can upgrade this, that or the other, um, you know, there's convenience with it, absolutely, um, but the prices that are usually associated with that are, are pretty, pretty high, um, and it's one of the things that I've always wondered specifically about Peloton is, is the, that price point that you mentioned, the price of the bike, you know, is this as a service what's causing the the, the cost of that to go up, um, or do they just use, like, really freaking awesome materials, which, I mean, they do, but, you know, you just, it just it just makes you wonder, you know, with that. Um, when it comes to AV as a service, I've personally been kind of hesitant to suggest that and go with that, because it seems like it's always changing, and, you know, using Zoom specifically as an example, because, you know, we're a Zoom shop, when they, when they started offering that, they really, really hit it hard. And they're like, look at this awesome thing that we're offering, and you don't hear about it anymore, hardly ever. So it's like, okay, well, what happened there? And it just makes you wonder, you know, also, too, if, if it's the manufacturer that's offering that, that AV as a service, or if you look at other other companies like um, Starin did an, uh, you know, kind of an as-a-service as offering, too, like their, their little um, box package bundles, like, you know, are the manufacturers going to be able to be successful doing this, or are they going to need some kind of uh, integrator or representative to get that to really kick off? Uh, Rachel, same kind of question. Um, Rachel obviously also works in a, in a big Fortune 500 company. When you look at, uh, as Erica said, the, the kind of the, the IT model here, is this something that makes sense? The as a service when it comes to AV, or is it you know we we're still we're still kind of you know putting the parts and pieces together and it's not quite ready for prime time yet? Okay, I believe in AV as a service. I think that clients like it, and I think that um, it. I think that it gives the individual more power to research, find what they want, and take care of it by themselves. And I think people are drawn to that. I think that the time when Peloton had their success that we just lived through um, was an example of that from you know, layman to the, the regular exercise person of figuring out a best way to get everything that they wanted from a company. Um, so I, I, think that, I think that AV as a service has a future and we should keep doing what we do to um, just keep getting closer to the clients. Now, what's concerning is if there is this kind of dip happening right now and you know whether Peloton will make it or not I have no idea 
But um, honestly, what this makes me think about is just the culture change in terms of, you know, I do streaming, that's what I think about, and the culture change in terms of the engagement that people are willing to accept as the world reopens, right? Um, People are going, are they going to go somewhere else to get that engagement with exercise that they were happy to get for the past two years from that bike with the live instructor on it? You know what I mean? Are they going to be able to compete with that? And that makes me wonder, what is streaming really going to look like as we open the world back up? Because everybody wants to keep it, but the audience has to be there and the audience has to show up and want to keep it and be engaged. And so I think this is going to be really interesting to watch over the next couple of months because Peloton is going to have to do something to keep their engagement going. Yeah, absolutely. Toby, you'll have a final, final word on this. Take a look at it as a, from an integrator, manufacturer, or, or however you want to, want to take a look at it. But, but talk for a second about the future of AV as a service. You know, AV as a service is something that I think a lot of manufacturers and dealers are still trying to get their head wrapped around. There, there's quite a few that have some decent programs out there. They're really transitioning from that CapEx to OpEx purchase model, right? But if we look at Peloton specifically, you know, it, they didn't really subsidize the entire experience. You had to go buy a really expensive bike and then you had to have a monthly service, right? And if you look at what AV as a service should be or really any software as a service model out there, you know, a lot of those things get bundled together as that monthly fee, right? And as we continue to look at it as a service in general, you know, which Peloton did a decent job and I'm not a Peloton user personally, but, you know, they had the reward piece where you had the scoreboard on the side and you could actually see where you were on the, the rankings. But, you know, it, what was the reward to actually bring you back every time? Was it something that I could get, you know, the, the same level of service, the same experience, the same invigorating kind of workout that you want to have? You know, uh, as Tim, as you know, I'm a big cyclist. I have a cycling program that I use that's online that's $10 a month. And it gives me everything that Peloton would do, but I'd sell my own bike and I can watch Netflix or Peacock or whatever I want to watch for the day. I don't necessarily need somebody yelling at me on the screen either. Um, you know, where I think it can be really applied for the AV service model is just more functionality, you know, more seats, uh, more features, and more of that scaling piece that people are looking for versus I've bundled this particular product and service together. This is what it is and not reinventing that wheel and continuing to, to bring new products and new services as the uh, service model to the market. Right, very good. It will be interesting, um, you know, one, once we kind of let this, this smoke clear, you know, exactly where Peloton is and where the rest of it falls. Um, the other thing that, that some folks uh, smarter than me have, have said is um, this may have more to do with the, the, chip set, the chip set shortages, easy for me to say, uh, than it does it, uh, with the running of the company. So we'll also see on that. Uh, next story comes to us from our friends over AV Magazine from Dan McGrath. He asked a very interesting question. Is there still room for Zoom? Uh, Dan writes about the, the popularity and the rise in popularity of Zoom through, from 2020 all the way through 2022. Uh, if you remember correctly, 2019, actually a year before the pandemic, is when, um, uh, when Zoom went public with their IPO. Uh, jumped, I want to say, up to $120, $150 in, this, in, in a single day. A year later, it was ubiquitous with uh, video conferencing. It, Zoom has become almost, not quite almost, 
the, the Kleenex of the video conferencing system. What's interesting, and just a week ago, we finished the Aviation Reader's Choices Awards. It came down to Zoom and Teams uh, in the final round, and uh, as, as luck would have it, or whatever would have it, uh, Teams, Microsoft Teams won over Zoom. So I caught this, 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 this article caught me a, a little bit, you know, in, in that kind of flux there. Rachel, when you look at, at, at just the video conferencing system and, and quite frankly, the soft codec systems, uh, soft codec uh, platforms, you look at Zoom and Zoom is still, let's say, number one, number two, number three, right? And, and the third one, we can argue who that is, whether that's WebEx or, God help me, Google um, Hangout, um, you know, and, and I love our friends at Google. I, there are new overlords or whatever, but I, that's a crappy platform. Um, <laughs> So is there, you know, there, there's, there was a report a couple of years ago, there was over 250 um, soft codec platforms, right? So basically, if you, if you had a preference, you could, you could kind of have your pick. Is there still room for, for that number two, number three, maybe even number four spot? Or is there a clear winner here and everybody else should, should go away and, and start working on something else? Oh, I don't think there's any win. No, I don't think there's a win. I don't think there will ever be a winner. I think that they are all different, and they have their strengths and weaknesses, which um, even just, you know, as as a user, as a consumer of video conferencing, I can think of different applications for each one. And I'm a super user, right? So, But people who aren't super users have the one that they connect with. So just like there will be... 20 different ice cream brands, there should be 20 different video conferencing brands so everybody can get what they want. Toby, same kind of question. Um, is there one significant winner here or maybe two? And then, you know, um, I don't know, WebEx should go do something else. <laughs> Cisco should go do something else. Well, I mean, is, is the real question is, is there room for Google and WebEx and go to meeting? No, there's not. Um, and, and to be fair, Zoom and Teams are kind of the bigger players out there, but something to be pretty uh, aware of is Zoom is really, it's not really a platform anymore. It's a verb, right? And the reason I say that is it, the Zoom fatigue, the Zoom bobbing and all of the stuff that happens with Zoom because through the pandemic, everybody was getting on Zoom because it was super easy for everybody to, to do it. You know, uh, your grandmother could do it, your kids could do it, whatever it may be. And they really had that market share to go. Or I think, Teams is really uh, catching up and really why they're getting that more regional divide is they were really dominating that security piece that Zoom just overlooked for months and months and it's uh, probably close to a year um, until they actually realized that that was a real problem where Teams and Microsoft have always been very security conscious to really focus in on that. You know, the interna international operability and security is really important to a lot of companies, especially as they're scaling and working through that. Uh, so again, is there room for Zoom? Yeah, I mean, they still have, what, 41 or 45% of the market share. I think that we're gonna see a lot of these other guys, maybe not necessarily Google, but just get kind of fade off into the sunset as Zoom and Teams and you know maybe a few other guys kind of come to the top here. But as organizations look at scaling and ease, ease of use, I mean, these guys are, are kind of leading that way for us. I might take a slight issue with Zoom always having been security conscious. Because um, there's a couple stories that I could point you to that in the, the spring and, and summer of 2020, they weren't, I'm not saying they weren't concerned about it, but they certainly had some holes that, that some 
hackers um, <laughs> made aware to them. Let's just put it that. Way. Well, right, and maybe I misspoke on that, but the, the they were lacking the the uh, the attention that the security side need that Teams actually was focused on, right? And that's yeah, where like absolutely. the Zoom bombing that happened in my uh, my fourth grades uh, fourth grade kids school, where they just had somebody come into the meeting. Uh, I mean, it wasn't too long ago when they actually added all the passwords to actually get into these Zoom meetings before you could guess at a meeting and jump in, right? Uh, yeah. They hired a security, uh, national security guy to kind of run and build that practice within Zoom. I, personally, it was probably two years too late for some of that 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 brand uh, awareness piece that they're working through, but they're they're getting there. I don't think that they're going to be perfect for quite some time, though. No, no, and, and it, it's one of the things that, that they got really quick, they got really big really quickly, right? And one of the things that that is um, that, you know, um, people who were not Mac lovers, especially back in the 90s and the 2000s, when Mac Mac fans would say, oh, you know, they don't you know, we don't have viruses for Macs. Well, no kidding, because nobody cared. Right. That there wasn't a there wasn't a, a mass of Macs for you to write bugs for. That's why you wrote, you know, malware for the for the Windows, because you, you got a bigger chunk of that right well the same thing with zoom zoom got zoom nobody, nobody knew about it until they got really big and, and then you had an interesting problem on your hands there so, uh erica same kind of question here wrap this up you know is is there room for for zoom still so i think i've officially gone into beating a dead horse territory with this um but um absolutely in my in my opinion i believe that zoom is still leading and the reason I believe that is because of their offerings and support for different environments, namely virtual environments. When you look at Teams in Amazon Chime or WebEx or any of that stuff, or actually I take that back, WebEx does now have a virtual environment option, download installer. And the, the difference in experience when you're using something purpose-built for the type of environment you're in is huge. And Zoom has gone above and beyond expectations with their development of being able to support virtual environments. And that's super huge. I've talked to a lot of or quite a few firms in the AEC industry like Henderson and several other companies. And as a response to the pandemic, they went to virtual environments. They're running their 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 employees are using virtual environments and they're having a really hard time with their existing virtual virtual meetings and uh, collaboration tools because they're not purpose-built for virtual environments. And it just creates a huge, huge headache and a nightmare, honestly, for support and for your users. It, 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 it takes a, your client service takes a hit, everything takes a hit. And Zoom just continues to keep pumping out the updates, growing stronger, getting better with that. And they, they offer it for multiple different platforms now. So that's just something that they've definitely taken on. And as we move into more of a hybrid and more companies start going into these virtual environments, that's something that these other platforms really need to be taking notice of and being able to keep up. I also want to point out that that I, I didn't do this on purpose, but I, I liked the fact that Erica kind of anchored this because following her on Twitter, she spent an awful lot of time with, with Zoom here in the last, what, two or three months, um, deploying a number uh, for, for Henderson kind of all around the country. Uh, so I appreciate that that perspective. Uh, last story here comes to commercial comes to us from Commercial Integrator. L Acoustics has launched a task force to seize and destroy fake 
loudspeakers. I found this a uh, little uh, interesting. Um, it is uh, in, in conjunction with the Customs uh, Administration for the People's Republic of China, uh, working with in conjunction with Alacoustics. Um, one of the things that, that kind of struck me was um, any time, this is a, kind of goes a little bit back to the other story, actually, of um, having the... Um, having kind of the market share to make it worth your while to counterfeit something, right? Same thing with the, with the Macs versus the PCs, having it worth your while to create malware and bugs for a, sp a specific operating system. Same thing here. These are higher end uh, speakers, whether you can mass produce counterfeit microphones and wireless, or you can counterfeit you know, speakers. Toby, the, the, anytime we talk about this, it's interesting both from an integration standpoint, uh, manufacturer and, and kind of, you know, the tech managers and the folks who are on the front line here, what can kind of the integration side, but also manufacturing side, do to make sure that, that these don't get into the hands of Erica and Rachel uh, before they ever, you know, they end up on, you know, it, it, it the, the dock of the integrators before they put it into the rack? How do we make sure that these don't end up on a job site somewhere? You know, it, it, it's interesting because you hear a lot of different manufacturers out there that are taking a product, selling it to another manufacturer for white labeling, right? And it's mm -hmm. a big differentiator what what this particular article was of, of uh, you know, different individuals across the world taking something, making it something that it's not, and obviously having less quality gear in there. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different manufacturers out there that have uh, little nuances for how their quality is checked. They've got QC processes. You know, if you're really close knit from an integration standpoint with the manufacturer, you're probably really well aware of where things are shipping from, how they're getting handled who their engineering people are, how they're getting checked, and how quickly they can get to your door. If any of that seems a little bit off, typically you're gonna get alerted to it pretty quickly, uh, as well as having that relationship with the manufacturers to understand like, you know, hey Tim, what's going on with this particular speaker product or whatever, or you know, why is it taking three weeks longer? Why does this paint look a little different? Why does your logo look a little bit different from the perspective of how it normally looks? You know, if, if you keep, really close attention to those details. I think a lot of this stuff would start to shake itself out. Not really sure how they found that overseas from their task force, but it was really interesting because El Acoustic specifically is a high-end, very, very high-end niche brand for the, the audio market. And I would bet if you put that speaker in front of me versus the, the, the makeshift one, you could probably tell the difference because they have that such high quality for their product line. I think though you would have to plug it in. You might have to plug <laughs> it in. Yeah, that's true. Because the, the screen printing might might be, might be real well done, um, Erica, what, and, and you and, and Rachel both, you know, same same question for, for you folks, right? Is is if you get it right, you know, how, how do you guys handle, or how would you handle if you get something in your shop, in your conference room, in your you know rack, it suddenly is not performing like you expect it to, right? Um, or Come to find out, it is counterfeit. You know, do you guys have a mechanism here that you know whether you come back to the integrator or you start you know start with manufacturers to make sure, hey, we need to make, we need to be made right here as the ultimate purchaser of this. Well, I just want to start off, start off by saying this is why we can't have nice things. People just <laughs> suck sometimes, right? Like it sucks that we have to even have these conversations. So, you know, everybody be nice to each other and okay. Um, so for that, uh, we purchase everything through an integrator and we also get coverage on it. So I'm immediately calling the integrator. Like I'm, you know, I'm, you're, I'm giving you the money to buy the product and I'm also giving you money to help me support the product. So I'm going to just say, you need to take care of this, right? 
And, you know, internally here, part of our process is, is we get stuff, we unbox it, we check through it, we make sure everything's good. So that way we can hopefully catch things before they get installed. You know, obviously it's, there's always a chance that that's not going to happen, but, you know, we, we do try our best at least in internally, um, and we have, you know, internal inventory system where we have to input all of the information and stuff like that. So just making sure that we're doing our due diligence to keep track of serial numbers and, you know, what the what the labels on the boxes look like to make sure they look correct and, and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you know, we're we're just purchasing and if there's you know, if there's a problem then, you know, help us help us out to get it to get it figured out because, you know, at the when it when it, you know, trickles down, it could be on us, it could get us in trouble that that we're that we've got that stuff and we're running it, whether we know yeah. it or not. Well, really quickly, because I want to ask you and, and Rachel the same question here, because I have a, a dear friend who uh, runs a theater here locally, and now Brian is is incredibly uh, particular. Let's let's say that Brian is very particular. Love him to death, but he's very particular. He does what you do, Erica, but he will also register the serial numbers with the manufacturer. Do you guys do that? Yep. Yep. Okay. If there is, um, whether it's Logitech, Kramer, whatever, whatever it is, you know, we have um, our company account set up with all of those sites. So when we get in a product, we go to register it. And, you know, some there have been instances where we've entered a serial number for something and it says, you know, this can't be found. And it's immediately on the phone, immediately sending an email. Yeah. yeah well, uh, I'll tell the story here at the end. So Rachel, same kind of question here. What What is the, uh, what is the process? Uh, Rachel works for a, um, a, a, financial institution. So there are probably, there, there are also different uh, rules and regulations there as well. Um, if you guys find counterfeit, what's, what is the process? Oh, honestly, in my role, I don't need to know that. Uh, but when I was in, I, when, when I did need to know that, um, I was really working for an integrator. So um, I was positioned tech managing for that company and um, would have had to do that due diligence myself or go back to the team about that um i just i i have to tell you this article really caught me by surprise because i didn't even realize anybody would have the gall to make the decision to build these speakers fake speakers like okay i'm sure they're a, a consumer consumer quality speaker or something that you can easily um reproduce absolutely but just the fact that somebody got together and had the conversation that this is how we're going to make this money this year is really was really eye-opening for me. And um, it, it does. It makes you want to look around and really be very specific with your serial numbers uh, like Erica is doing because it, it's important. And when you miss one, you never know. That could be the day you get a fake speaker. Yeah. yeah, and that's a really good point too, Rachel, about, you know, the, the consumer, like what was it about this particular, I mean, you see fake AirPods all the time, you know, you oh, yeah. see fake Jabra Speak 510s at gas stations now, I saw that in Texas, like the, that kind of stuff, it's just, you know, it, it is what it is, but I'm, I'm with you on like, what, what, like this, this really, like that, that's what you picked, okay, all right. Well, and, and <laughs> let's be frank here, an acoustic speaker, it's not cheap, right? So maybe the payoff, right, was was the was was the payoff, right, the the, the price tag. So um, very quickly, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw the manufacturer under the bus because they it, it all turned out nice. Uh, but my buddy Brian, who is again very particular, um, he uh, he had an upgrade into in his theater. 
a ton of these of these amplifiers. If I if you if you say amplifier in the world of AV, you're going to name this amplifier probably in the first three guesses. Uh, had an issue with one of them. Calls them up. He's got the serial number because he keeps everything right, and they say that serial number doesn't exist. Like that's not even possible. So he had a unique experience of going down this whole um, counterfeit road. And so it was an interesting experience, an interesting perspective. Come to find out, they had made a, a mistake in the factory. It was a legitimate amplifier. Somebody screwed up somewhere in the serial number numbering process. And one thing led to another, this, that, and the other. They came down and they like sit down engineers and this, that, and the other. It was a whole big to-do. But because, again, he's particular... <laughs> He was able to say, you know, I've got the box. I've got. A, he had a picture of the box, right? The original box. The, the the serial number was still stamped on the on the amplifier and everything. So yeah, it's it is. It, it, the manufacturers do have ways to to protect themselves, but sometimes they they can also mistakes as well. So, all right. Uh, thank you all so much. Uh, I appreciate your time, uh, Erica Williams. Thank you. Uh, if somebody wants to connect with you, how do they do that? Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, I just want to shamelessly plug, I have to, you know, you mentioned the Super Bowl. Henderson Engineers was the engineer for that stadium. So check out the Kansas City Business Journal article about our work on that. And then head over to hendersonengineers.com to see some of the other cool stuff that we're doing. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at HaircutFW and I'm on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, so five Stadium, the, the home of the Chargers and some other stupid football team. Uh, Rachel Harris, thank you. How do people connect with you? Thank you so much. And okay, so I'm on LinkedIn as R Harris Production. That's production singular um, after my first initial and my last name, R Harris Production. And I'm also on Twitter where I'm R Harris Pro. So good luck. I'll see you on the internet. All right, very good. If you follow, if you. If you find Toby, you can follow our, you know, you can follow Rachel because uh, I refuse to let you follow me. Toby Tungle, uh, how do people connect with you or your brand spanking new spot at, at the fan video? Well, thanks again for having me, Tim. It's always good to, to chat with you, even on the other side of the fence this time, I guess. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Toby Tungle, uh, actually on any social media platform that has the same handle across the board. Um, you know, the, the company name is epifanvideo.com. Go over there, check it out. Um, we've got a pretty kick-ass podcast with George and Dan as well um, that uh, we do a lot of cool stuff and a lot of very interesting topics. Yeah, uh, Epifan's, Epifan's making some noise and picking up some really, really cool, really, really great folks, so check them out. Uh, for me, for Tim Albright, don't follow me on the Twitters. Um, if you'd like to be encouraged on a daily basis, Toby Tungle's one. Corey Schaefer's another one. She's she's freaking awesome. She's not here this week. She was she was actually on last week. Uh, but go by the website if you would, please. Avnation.tv. That's Avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. About a month ago, I said, "Here, I'm going to all these places," and then things happened, and you know, ISC gets pushed off to freaking May, which Barcelona in May is not a bad thing. Um, but we are have we do have some couple of things coming down the pipeline. Uh, number one. If you're going to the NSCA BLC, um, I will physically be there. I'll get to hang out with Toby uh, again. Uh, if you're not, but you're a member of NSCA, uh, I will be the bright, shiny face that you get to in, uh, experience virtually. Uh, so I get to hang out with my buddy Wallace Johnson and, and do that. Uh, and then we are heading to Enterprise Connect for the first time, hang out with Mr. David Danto and a bunch of folks talking UC, Unified Communications and Collaboration. 
And then at the end of April, we'll be hitting Vegas uh, again because I just can't get enough of Sin City, I guess, this year uh, for NAB, National Association of Broadcasters. And that is actually in conjunction uh, at the same time as Cinecon, uh, CinemaCon. So I will also be hanging out there as well somewhere in, in there. So I, I mentioned that just if you're there, come out or, or, or drop me a line, uh, Tim at avianation.tv, and let's, let's connect, let's hang out because the world is slowly getting back together. So. Uh, so check that out at the website, uh, avianation.tv. It's avianation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That is all the time we have for AV Week.